him correcting some misunderstandings about his travel plans? Like, what's that going to teach us here in 21st century Edinburgh? That was my initial reaction to the passage three weeks ago when I was first looking at it. Um, and I'm pleased to say that, um, as we saw last week, um, there are some real lessons here about authentic ministry. God does have um, something, I think, very important for us to hear tonight as a church family. Um, but we're going to keep feeling that in 2 Corinthians, I think. It is a very personal letter. I said last week, one of the most honest and kind of personal letters Paul writes. Um, it's, it's a church that knows him well, and there's been some history. It's been a bumpy ride. He planted the church, and then there's been letters back and forth since. Um, and the wonderful thing is, as Paul addresses those quite specific issues on the ground, he will keep defining for us what is authentic Christian ministry. That really matters for all of us. It matters for the Christian ministry we listen to, for those choosing churches. It matters for the, um, um, the ministry we partner with. And it matters for the ministry we all engage in. Um, Corinthians has a, a view of every member ministry, all Christians involved um, in this wonderful ministry of Jesus. So let me pray um, for God's help. Uh, we prayed earlier, but I'll pray again as we turn to his word. Our Father in heaven, we've just sung that we can stand on every promise of your word. And we pray tonight, as we listen to your word, that you would help us to do that. Help us to see why you can be trusted. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I said there are big lessons about authentic ministry in 2 Corinthians. Last week, as Jay was saying, the lesson was about suffering. Suffering does not disqualify someone from Christian ministry. It often enables them, equips them for ministry. And it's been a great encouragement to, to me to hear from many of us how helpful that is as a lesson for all of us. Whether we're out front or not, all of us can be equipped um, for gospel ministry, even in the painful things of life. Tonight's big lesson is that authentic Christian ministry speaks straight and loves. We've got something about method, something about motive. Authentic Christian ministry speaks straight, that's the method, and loves, that's the motive. That's what's uh, being questioned about Paul, and that's what he's going to um, explain and defend. Um, so, let's get into it then. Why is Paul talking about his travel plans? Um, uh, he has changed his travel plans to the Corinthians. Um, you can see uh, from chapter 1 verse 15, chapter 1 verse 15, he was planning to visit them, a couple of visits actually, he was going to visit them on the way. And verse 16, I wanted to visit you on the way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. So he wanted to do two visits, um, but the second one of those hasn't happened. That was the original plan. Just look down to verse 23, he's changed the plan. Verse 23 of chapter 1, I called God to witness against me, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming to Corinth. Or 2 verse 1, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. So he's explaining his travel plans, his, his kind of changed itinerary on Google Maps. Why does he need to spend a whole half chapter on that? After the profundity of last week, why give so much airspace to this topic? Well, because the travel change was a serious issue because it was damaging the relationship between Paul and the church. I've said that um, 
temple's reputation was under attack in Corinth. They were super apostles, false but good-looking super apostles. They were impressive, smart, great speakers, glossy image, so than, um, much more so than uh, Paul looked. Uh, and they've been criticising Paul. Things like, you know, Paul, he suffered so much, he can't possibly be blessed by God, used by God. That's not what a, a real Christian leader looks like. He's a loser. And now, Paul's speech and his motives are under attack. They're saying with the speech, well, you can't trust the word he says. Like he said he was going to come, and he didn't. You can't trust the word he says. And of his heart motives, he doesn't love you. If he loved you, he would have visited, but he didn't visit, so he doesn't love you. He's obviously too important for you. That's the kind of stuff they're saying. And so, verse 17, Paul says this. Chapter 1, verse 17. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this, when I told you I wanted to visit? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? He's saying, kind of, was, was I hedging my bets? When I said, yeah, yeah, I'll come, I'll come, was it that kind of empty promise that people sometimes make? You know, if you're invited to a party you don't really want to be at, oh yeah, yeah, sure, sure. And then something better might come along, or you might find an excuse, oh, sorry, I couldn't come. I really just don't love it. And the Corinthians were starting to worry, well, maybe that's what it looks like. And so he needs to clear this up. He needs to explain what authentic ministry really looks like, with him as a good example. That really matters. Why does it matter? Not for Paul's own kind of self-esteem. He doesn't mind too much about that. Why it really matters is that if the Corinthians go sour on Paul, they might well go sour on the gospel that Paul brought. If the Corinthians go sour on Paul, they might well lose trust in the gospel he brought them. And that really matters. That's the state. They fall out with him, they won't fall out with the real Jesus who he proclaims. And I want to say right up front that attacks on Paul do not end in the first century. Both in academic theology at the moment and in a number of churches, Paul is not popular. In fact, it's one of the ways to cast doubt on something the Bible actually says by saying, well, that's just Paul. I mean, that's not Jesus, that's just Paul. We all know Paul can't be trusted. And what's really interesting, even today, it's the same lines of argument against Paul. Sometimes say it's uh, his words. You can't really trust his words. Some words are good from Paul, but some of it's really, I mean, you can pick and choose. It's not great. Sometimes it's his motives. He doesn't love people when he's talking. For example, Paul's just a misogynist. He doesn't love women. And so when he teaches about the roles of men and women, uh, whether in church or in marriage, well, that's just Paul being a kind of male power play kind of guy. Or others would say Paul's just homophobic. When he teaches about God's design for marriage being between a man and a woman, that that being the place for sexual love, well, that's just him. He doesn't love people, not like Jesus. Striking, isn't it? Both then and now, Paul faces personal attacks and so in this passage, and we'll see this through the letter, Paul is explaining himself, explaining what true authentic ministry looks like and feels like. Just before we work through the detail, I'm just going to explain where we uh, go in terms of our plans. So if you've got an outline, um, have a quick look at that. It's on the back of the, the kind of notice sheet we gave out. Um, so we're going to do something that's slightly counterintuitive. 
We're going to look at the travel plan stuff first, which is the start and the, the end of the passage. And we're going to see uh, how he speaks straight when it came to his travel plan and also how he acts out of love for them. That's the end of the passage. And we're going to then apply those points. So if you're feeling like, what's all this got to do with us? We will get there. We'll apply those points. And then right at the end, we're going to come back to what I think is the most wonderful and important part of the passage, this central bit about how God always means what he says. Christian ministry has to speak straight because that's what God does. He means what he says. He says what he means. We can stand on every promise of his word. So that's the plan. I hope you're with me. Um, another way of saying that is it's a bit hard at the start and it will get better and better, hopefully, in terms of heartwarming stuff as we go. So please do stick with me. Don't drop off the bus tonight. Okay, let's get into it. Verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12, uh, where Paul says this, um, uh, and I've called this point, by God's grace, I speak sincerely and straight. That's what Paul's saying. As an authentic Christian minister, by God's grace, I speak sincerely and straight. That's his boast in verse 12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. It's really plain, isn't it? There's this contrast between how Paul has been, sincere, straight-talking, and how earthly wisdom is. And we all know that, don't we? The kind of human spin, the political talk, the double speak. Paul says, no, that wasn't what I was doing. I said what I meant. I wanted to come and see you. Striking, he says, that's his boast. In our, word, in our world, our culture, boast always sounds like a bad word, doesn't it? Um, but actually, in the Bible, it's not about whether you're boasting or not. It's what you boast in is the issue. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 12. This is the only time we'll turn somewhere else in the book. Uh, chapter 5, verse 12, page 966, um, which in lots of ways gives us a real insight into what's going on um, in Corinth and in this letter. 5, verse 12, where Paul says... We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. Real Christian ministry, authentic ministry, is all about what's going on in here by God the Holy Spirit as the gospel is proclaimed to hearts. Fake Christian ministry, inauthentic Christian ministry is all about the outward stuff, the show. So back to chapter one, Paul is boasting not about how good he looks or how impressive his plans were or what speaking tour he's been on. No, he's just, he's just boasting about something pretty simple. Honestly, I just said the truth. I just spoke straight to you. When, um, it's striking. It's not a kind of major boast. Verse 12, we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. And actually, he's not even boasting in himself, is he? Notice that? By the grace of God, we speak straight. God's work in my heart meant I said what I meant and I meant what I said. There's the slander out there. Paul doesn't speak, stick to his word. But Paul says, no, I wasn't flip-flopping. I think that's slightly more modern word than verse 17, vacillating. I've never heard anyone use that in the normal world. I wasn't flip-flopping. I wasn't flaky. I wasn't kind of hand behind my back. I wasn't one thing to your face and something else elsewhere. I wasn't double-tongued. I wasn't two-faced. I was just telling you the truth. I wanted to come and visit you. 
Okay, that's the first point about Paul. As an authentic Christian minister, his first defense, by God's grace, I speak sincerely and straight. I meant what I said about the travel plans. That's our first point, and I hope already you can begin to see how relevant that will be in application. Relevant for for any Christian ministry, whether up front or or just uh, in normal kind of everyday life. Relevant for the ministry we listen to. It's about the heart. It's about speaking straight. It's not about looking good. Relevant for the ministry we partner with, are our gospel partners, do they know and do we pray for them that they would speak straight? Do we encourage them in that? And then the ministry we engage in. Any Christian or gospel worker who's just begun to spin the truth, to say one thing to the face and another behind the back, needs to heed this challenge. Actually, before we get into detail on application, I do want to finish the story of why Paul changed his travel plans. So, so far we've got that he said to the Corinthians, look, I did, I did mean to come. I was going to come. But we haven't, find out, we haven't found out what changed. Um, so here's point two. By God as witness, I act out of love for you. By God as witness, I act out of love for you. That is, he changed his plans for their good. So this is getting on to motives. We've done method, I speak straight. We're on to motives, I love you. His change of travel plans, it wasn't actually an evidence of lack of love or kind of disdain for them. It's that striking phrase, chapter 1, verse 24. Not that we lord it over you, your faith, but we work with you for your joy. Paul's saying, "We, we didn't come to spare you, verse 23. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Or 2 verse 1, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. If I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one I've pained? And I wrote to you as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of this, of all of you, that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love I have for you. It's not hard to spot the strength of feeling, is it, that Paul has for these Christians and this church? When the relationship's going badly, he's pained by it. He has abundant love for them. He works for them, for their joy. Striking that, because that's not the public image of Paul, is it, then or today? In the slanderous attacks on him, he's often caricatured as a kind of harsh guy, like intellectual, unpastoral, unloving, hardliner. He just added his own load of grumpy prejudices to the loving words of Jesus. Completely false. Historically, just false. He's a man of deep love and concern for all those he introduced to Jesus, the churches he planted, and the lost. Later in 2 Corinthians, he's going to say it's anxiety about people that keeps him up at night. Even in chapter 2, verse 13, if you just look across there, 2, verse 13, my spirit was not at rest when I couldn't find my brother Titus. Why? Because he'd sent Titus to Corinth and he wanted to hear back. Are they doing okay? So worried was he for them. Now, what's actually going on here about this whole change of visit thing? Um, I'm not going to say loads because we'll pick it up next week with verses 1 to 4 of chapter 2. But basically, um, since the letter of 1 Corinthians, which we have in the Bible, things had deteriorated at Corinth. Paul had then paid a visit, which went really badly. Um, At least a faction of the church kind of turned against him. And 
at that point, Paul thought to himself, look, if I go back soon, the second trip that I planned to see them, it's just going to end up in a showdown with the rebels and things might deteriorate further. And so 2 verse 1, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. Or 1 verse 23, I called God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. So instead of turning up and having a showdown, Paul sent a letter. Not this letter. It was one one we haven't got in the middle. Um, A letter saying, guys, do you realize how serious what you're doing is? He gave them a rebuke and some time and space to respond because he loved them. Striking that, isn't it? He didn't change his plans out of a lack of concern for the Corinthians, not because he was some big shot and they were beneath his visit, quite the opposite. He switched from visit to letter out of love for them to give them the best possible chance of coming to their senses. So that's his defense. Two points. By God's grace, I speak straight, sincerely. When I said I wanted to come, I meant it. That was my plan. And secondly, when I changed the plan, love was the motive. It was for your good. It was to give you every chance to change before we met. Okay, I hope so far we're still on board. How does any of that apply to us today? Three things, I think, that we should be reflecting on. Firstly, as I've mentioned a couple of times now, this really does still apply to our attitudes to Paul specifically. We'll get on to ministry in general, but to Paul specifically, there are real lessons for here. We need to take seriously, Paul was slandered back then, falsely, and he is today, falsely. It's not actually a surprise that one of Jesus' spokesmen would, would have a lot of aspersions kind of cast on him and his reputation because there is an unseen spiritual war going on around God's word. What better way to silence the saving gospel of Jesus than to cast doubt on one of his messengers? In fact, one who wrote a big portion of the Bible. So if you can ignore Paul, you can actually ignore quite a lot of scripture. Just have a look at chapter 2, verse 11. This is the end of the kind of extended block. We'll, We'll see all this next week. But just look at this. Why he cares so much that this relationship doesn't fall apart. 2 verse 11, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his designs. Paul says there's unseen spiritual forces at work here. If the Corinthians lose confidence on Paul with something as small as travel plans, well, they might lose confidence in the real gospel that Paul taught. There's a word for any of us who are theologians or theological students or ministers. Let's wise up on what's actually going on when Paul gets laughed at or ridiculed or attacked personally. Because Jesus did stop him and choose him and change him and send him and give him words to speak by his spirit. It means we don't have the right to to pick and choose. You, You can't just turn... Paul or any bit of the Bible into a kind of pick-a-mix tray. I like the taste of these ones. I like these flavors. I think that's how it applies in terms of our attitude to Paul. But actually, we're going we're gonna to see, I think this letter isn't just written to, to say trust Paul. I think it's also written to show us what authentic ministry looks like. So I think it is right to apply, apply this more broadly as a kind of plumb line 
to Christian ministry. And I, I realized once I stood up here that we may not know what a plumb line is. It's like an old thing. You hold a straight plumb line and it, it tells you whether a wall is starting to lean. Um, you probably have laser thingies nowadays. I'm not a builder, but laser guides or something. But anyway, if the walls are bending slightly, just going off, off the straight and narrow, a plumb line shows you that. Um, and I think this is a, a kind of plumb line for authentic ministry. Authentic Christian ministry should speak straight and always be motivated by love for the people we're serving. It's good to ask ourselves, are we in any way drifting from the real thing? Who do I mean we when I say are we drifting from the real thing? Obviously church leaders, elders, missionaries, full-time gospel workers. I think in lots of ways we bear the most responsibility to apply this to our hearts because our public ministry does shape the way people hear Jesus' words based on our words. So I will apply it to us. But actually, I think it does apply to all forms of Christian ministry. We've been saying already through um, 1 Corinthians that that, um, Christian ministry is something that all Christians can be involved in as we encourage others, as we serve in various ways, as we we witness to the gospel um, around us at work or home or study. So actually, I think every Christian would want to say, do you know what? What comes out of my mouth is straight speaking. I want to be known as someone whose word can be trusted. And what's coming out of my heart is love. I want to plan my diary around love for people. It's a plumb line to us all. But given I am a Christian leader, I I have been reflecting on this personally, and I am going to spend a minute or two speaking about kind of full-time gospel workers, missionaries, um, church leaders, elders, because I think the stakes are particularly high. It's so striking with Paul. The stakes were high. If they went sour on him, they might go sour on the gospel. So let me just tell you, and I'm doing this partly for the sake of your prayers for us as preachers, as ministers, as elders. Let me tell you some of the temptations I face in this area, this area of straight speaking. On a painful pastoral subject... It is so tempting to tell people what they want to hear, not what the Bible says. Tempting to say, that's fine, when God says that's not fine. On controversies of the day, like some of the big public cultural controversies, now we're on YouTube, it is so tempting to just fudge what we say a little bit. To use a phrase that we'd understand in here, but out there wouldn't be understood, because then I won't get into trouble. It's not straight talking, I don't think. You know, preaching to the choir, but not in a way that anyone else could understand. When people make comments about church life, it's tempting to say we agree, even if we think, I'm not sure the Bible says that. Um, It's tempting to say what we think will help people like us in the short term, rather than what will be most loving for long-term spiritual growth. Tempting if there's a real issue in someone's life to just hope someone else will talk to them about it. In other ways, it's tempting to not actually speak with the kind of love that Paul had, the the love of someone's eternal good that he had for Corinth. Please pray for us. Because humanly speaking, that's what happens. That's the way of the world, the way of the flesh. Only by God's grace. Remember, Paul said, by God's grace, I speak straight. Only by God's grace, working in our hearts, can we fight those temptations. Personally, I hate conflict. I want to be liked. 
I don't like to, to kind of cause offense. And sometimes straight speaking does. So pray for us. Pray that love will be our motive, that speech will be our method. And I think do pray for us as a church family in our interactions with each other, that we keep growing in this, this loving straight speaking. It doesn't mean that you always go in double barrels, kind of <laughs> give it everything every time. Remember Paul, he was actually gentle with the Corinthians. He gave them time. He, yes, he, he sent that letter rebuking them, but he gave them time and space to change. But I think it does mean that we resist what Brits call politeness, but really is kind of an indirect unwillingness to challenge or to say the truth, that we won't say something to someone's face, but we will say it to all our friends behind their back. That's not Christian. It's not loving. It doesn't fit the plumb line. Okay, that's our second kind of way to apply this, a plumb line for authentic Christian ministry, which we're all engaged in. Thirdly, though, and actually this is the striking thing about this particular passage, Paul, in this case, was in the right, like he hadn't done anything wrong, but the Corinthians had misunderstood him. That is, that he changed his plans and they'd assumed the worst. And sometimes that happens, and I think this passage challenges us on that as well. Sometimes plans do have to change out of love for others, Plans in ministry, plans in churches, plans that pastors have. I think we need to hear that again. Sometimes people fall out with a, a minister or a church or a church leadership. Sometimes they'll say, I, I felt unloved, I felt uncared for. I lost confidence in that leader and their plans. And actually, during the pandemic, I think there's been a bit of a time of that. Sometimes it's for good reasons, that the Bible wasn't being taught, we weren't being fed but sometimes it, it could be a misunderstanding. And, and the thing that makes me sad is when you ask the next question of, did you ask them about that? Have you talked to them? If the answer comes back, no. Because sometimes it might be a misunderstanding. Sometimes we might be assuming the worst when actually they had a loving reason. In the five years I've been here at Chalmers, uh, I've seen plans sometimes change for really good reasons that not everyone would know. Loving reasons. So I think this is an encouragement for us all to speak straight, to ask if we're confused, to say if we're hurt, to ask what's going on. Okay, that's how we can apply those first two points. Um, but I said at the top that actually the third point in lots of ways is the most wonderful, the most exciting. And I think we need it probably because I don't know about you, but some of the stuff we've talked to about is actually quite hard straight as Christians. So how are we going to be kind of motivated to speak straight as Christians? Well, this is where Paul turns from his example to the wonderful, wonderful reality of God's speech. This is actually why the stakes are so high. It's such an important thing that as authentic Christian ministers, we speak sincerely and straight because that is how God speaks. He always means what he says says what he means. You can always trust his voice. We can stand on every promise of his word. This is our third point, and it's right there in the middle of the passage. So verses 19 to 22 of chapter 1. 19 to 22. Um, 
to give us a run-up, I'll, I'll start from verse 17 as I read, where Paul's still defending himself. So 17, was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus, Timothy, and I, was not yes and no, but in him it's always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Paul's saying God always keeps his promises. I mean, it's amazing few verses, these. I wish we had another half hour to unpack it, but don't worry, I'm not going to do that. Um, I think there's two things in there. There's a look backwards to the promises God's already kept from Scripture, and there's a look forwards to the promises he's going to keep as he saves us for eternity. So firstly, the, the look backwards. Um, Paul's saying, look, there is not a single promise in the Old Testament where God goes back and says, actually, do you know what? I'm not going to keep my word there. Do you know what? I've had a better offer. Do you know what? I can't, I can't really face following through on that. Quite the opposite. Every single promise of the Old Testament word, every thread of hope was building to the moment of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the great yes to the expectations raised in the Old Testament. We've already been seeing this quite a bit in Hebrews, if you've been around in the mornings or in small groups. Um, Jesus being the kind of climax and fulfillment of everything God's been promising so far. Um, so hopefully some of the thoughts are already in our minds, how he is the kind of end of the story. But here's just a few. And I, I have been, I've restricted myself. It is just not many, not as many as it could be. Here you go. Did God really mean it when he said? Did God really mean it when he said in Genesis 3, as early as that, at the fall of humanity, that one day a descendant of the human race would crush the head of the devil whilst being bruised by him. Yes, God really meant that. Jesus went to the cross, defeated evil, and was killed. Did God really mean it when he said to Abraham, through one of your descendants, the nations will be blessed? Yes, in Jesus, the son of Abraham, who brought blessing to the nations, including us in Scotland. Did God really mean it when he said to David that a descendant of his would end up on the throne of God's kingdom forever? Yes, Jesus, the son of David. Did God mean it when he said to Isaiah that one day God's people would be comforted because though their sins are like scarlet, one day they'd be washed as white as snow and it would all happen through a righteous servant who would die on the cross, pierced for their transgressions in their place. Yes, Jesus. Did God really mean it when he told Ezekiel that in light of all the failed shepherding in Israel, the failed kings and the religious leaders and the abuse of power in God's people, that one day God himself would come as a good shepherd and look after his sheep personally? Yes, in Jesus, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Did God mean it when he said to Daniel, There'd be a human being one day, one like a son of man, to whom would be given all authority over the nations. Yes, Jesus called himself the son of man. Did God mean it when in Psalm 16 he said his king, his, his true Messiah, would not see corruption 
in the grave? Yes, when Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. Did God mean it when he said in Psalm 110 that a king, human king, would sit at his right hand and be an eternal priest for humanity? Yes, yes, yes. I mean, I really could go on. I'd like to go on. I don't know if you'd like me to go on, so I am going to stop. But there are so many Old Testament promises out there. I've said a few. There's hundreds more. Every single one a yes in Jesus. Because God is a straight speaker. You can stand on every promise of his word. Such a breath of fresh air, isn't it? In a, in a world where you, you can't, you really can't. In public life, we really struggle to trust people's word, having been lied to so often. Well, God speaks straight. And the evidence is all over the Bible and the life of Jesus. If you're new to Christian things, it's, I think it's one of the most compelling reasons to trust that Jesus is more than just a man, that this is more than just a man-made religion, that God has made promises and kept them in his son, Jesus Christ. And I hope you can see, if that's what God's like, of course that's what we should be like as his people. Even more so, that's what we should be like as ministers of his gospel as we speak of him, as we share his words. He speaks in love, he speaks straight, he speaks with sincerity. And wonderfully, and this, is, this really is where we're coming into close, uh, wonderfully, it's not just looking backwards that Paul reflects on God's faithfulness. Just look again at verse 21 as he begins to look forwards. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us, and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Those words, seal and guarantee, they're like down payments, like the deposit that proves that someone's committed to the rest. See, this is saying that the God who's kept all his other promises so far, yes in Jesus, is the same God who's promised to take us home to take us to a new creation, to take us to a world where there isn't suffering, no more pain, tears, death, mourning. And you can trust him. We can trust him. He's proven that by now. There's plenty of evidence. It's one of the privileges of living after Jesus. Through all of the passage Paul's real desire for these Christians, you can see it like at the end of verse 14, for example, his real uh, desire is that on the day of the Lord Jesus, when Jesus comes back, the Corinthians will still be trusting Jesus and Paul will still be trusting Jesus. That's what he cares about. And Paul's saying to us that that hope is as rock solid as all the other promises God's made. He's put his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee and the rest of 2 Corinthians will help us see just how amazing that, that spirit coming into our hearts actually is. Because the real gospel, authentic ministry, is not about how good it looks. It's about what's going on in here. Boasting not about outward appearances, but about God's work in our hearts. So let's pray that that work would be going on to make all of us straight speakers who love those around us. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this wonderful letter with so much to tell us 
practically and theologically about Christian ministry and what is authentic. We long so much to, like Paul, be straight speakers who love people. Please would you work by your spirit and your grace in our hearts to make us more and more like that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're going to sing one final song this evening, a song that speaks of the Lord our God, of his faithfulness.